0: The Rock Pile
2: Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. The
1: Bills
0: make me wanna.
1: Peterman picked off! Joseph! Another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Andrew Catalan from CBS Sports. Folks, I hope you are doing well out there. <laughs> we weren't. Oh, we were not. For you longtime listeners of the show, you might remember that we tried to do a live podcast after the Bills played the Jaguars in London. Chris, what year was that?
2: That was, I think, our first year doing it. It might have been 2015.
1: And instead of a live post-game podcast, what we got was a minute and a half of, all I can call it is condensed madness. It happened again on Sunday. I mean, I have yet to go back and watch the post-game reaction video we filmed because seeing yourself come unhinged, I mean, that might be something they do for people who are going through anger management therapy or some kind of psychoanalysis. But that's not anything I feel like putting myself through. I mean, Chris, nobody wants to see themselves at their drunken worst, right? Well, you do. (laughs) But for those of you who don't follow us on Twitter or weren't one of the thousand people who saw the video, Chris has put together a synopsis for everyone. Now, I have not heard this yet. I'm I'm just going to sit here quietly and, oh, God, just start it.
0: Thank you, sir. But I fear inebriation may cause me to forget my manners in such fine company.
1: Poor coaching and a bunch of shitty backups that we could have told you from Jump Street sucked ass and shouldn't be in the game. You should have thrown Derek Anderson out there. Fuck it. Well, he was inactive. Who gives a shit? Philip Gaines has been the shittiest cornerback on this team. Gaines did exactly what we said he would. He sucks. He's a big play machine for the offense. Uh, This guy can suck a dick. I'm going to meet him at the airport and ask him, do you want your kneecaps or do you want to leave? You know who I should be mad at? The coach who let it happen. uh, You're the coach of these guys. You see them in practice. You know that these guys are garbage. And yet you trot them out there every fucking week. uh, Know that Nathan Peterman is fucking done. The guy is finished. He's done in the NFL. Your poor coaching and your poor talent evaluation came back to bite you in the ass. Our defense played their asses off. This is a slap in their face. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger, and we got to get the fuck out of here.
2: With the mic drop right there at the end, I got to give a shout-out to Mario and Paul from Hashtag Sports because they always tell you, if you were in the Avengers, you would be the Incredible Hulk. And <clears throat> how fitting! Listening to that, I, I got—I it again the transition. I have it on here. I don't want you to—I'm pl- playing the transition between the clips. That does that not sound Hulk-like? <sighs> does that not sound Hulk-like? Answer, guys. That. Does does it sound like Hulk-like?
1: I'm not—I'm not even acknowledging this
2: because that is you. That's literally you. Yes. That is
1: you growling into the microphone oh, oh, like my, an animal oh, like a savage God. animal to quote tonight's guest brett coleman from ESPN's battle red blog his reaction to that was just yikes and in truth if you had asked me how i felt i, I mean at 8 p.m that night i would have told you that i was genuinely contemplating taking the last 50 dollars cash i had in my wallet walking out the front door sans phone or keys Buying a 12-pack, of steel reserve, maybe a newspaper or two, and going to find an underpass to go pass out under, Chris. I was demoralized. That game almost drove me to consider voluntary homelessness. That's how demoralized I was.
2: Well, you look homeless to begin with.
1: (laughs) (sighs) So that's where we start this off, though, guys, because on a serious note, I mean, a strange thing happened. I, I want to say it was about 1045, 11 o'clock last night. First period of the Sabres games just kind of winding down. I mean, you go back to Monday night. That's usually when I start the entire process of putting the week's show together. Right? And At that point, I'd watched a, as much film as I was going to be able to stomach. I poured over the statistics. I, I created a rundown with bullet points and facts and figures and things that shaped the narrative of what I wanted to talk about tonight. And then I started thinking about my Twitter timeline and I started thinking about some of the tweets that I sent over the weekend. And then I started looking at Facebook and just these different groups. I mean, my phone was exploding with notifications and every one of them was just this negative. St- I mean, everyone was <laughs> everyone was tweeting and posting on Facebook as, as you just heard me speak. And then I stumble across this article by Robin Mundy over at BillsMafia.com. And I started thinking about that. You know, I came across that yesterday afternoon. And that starts going through my mind. And then I'm having a conversation on Facebook Messenger with uh, a terminally ill listener of ours, uh, Jason. And as I'm talking to him about just the game and about the way, the way we both feel, And I just start going back to his messages to me from last season, after the San Diego game, where he told me that he was still optimistic somehow and talked about how badly he wanted to see the end of the drought just at some point before he passed. I I deleted everything. I took the entire rundown and I scrapped it. The entire show and decided that with... A handful of hours left at my disposal, I I was going to put something different together because that's that's not what I want out of this. December fifteenth, December uh, what was it, fourteenth, two thousand fifteen. I think about this incident a lot. It's not a Buffalo Bills related incident. The Indianapolis Colts they're sitting at six and seven after having just lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Jacksonville Jaguars by thirty five points per game. Which, at six and seven, you're, you're essentially a long shot, if any shot left, to make the postseason. At the, by that point in his career, Chris, you've been a head coach for four seasons and you really haven't accomplished anything. So you can understand the type of pressure that guy's under. He goes into his Monday morning press conference and the question gets asked to him by a member of the media how he was holding it up, how, how he was holding up, and if he was worried about his future. His answer was probably one of the best I've ever heard anybody give to that question. His answer was worried. Worried about what? And the quote, they can fire you, but they can't eat you. Think about that for a second, Chris. You can be fired, but they can't kill you. They can't take things away from you. Anything that you haven't already given them. We love this football team. It's why we buy season tickets. It's why people monitor chat boards. Why we get up at the ass crack of dawn to set up tailgates in the middle of a snowstorm. This is the thing we argue about, that we debate philosophy over with our friends, that we lose our voices over on Sunday afternoons. Some of us not at the stadium, just in the confines of their own home. It's love. And because we love them, they have the ability to upset us. I mean, if we didn't care, then none of this would matter. They can hurt your feelings. They can they can take things away from you because you're giving them the ability to do so. I, I mean, <laughs> they can make us feel down. They can depress us. They can make us question whether anybody, any of the players, the front office members, whether they even know what NFL football is supposed to look like. Sometimes they leave you questioning whether any of this is worth paying attention to it. Whether any of this matters, Chris. Whether I should ever turn on the TV again on a Sunday afternoon and watch any of it. But they can't eat us. This game and this team means something different to everyone. I mean, there's for a lot of people out there, this this football thing is a passionate hobby. I mean, it's the thing that takes you it takes your mind off your nine to five or that shitty drive home that you're gonna have from work when you're stuck in gridlock traffic on a Wednesday afternoon. Maybe following football and following this team takes you off the stress of your day-to-day life. Or maybe you find a little bit of hope in it, and that's what gets you through chemotherapy. Or even helps you deal with the the concept of your own mortality. I'm not going to... I'm not advocating that you guys can't be mad about what you're seeing or that the choices that are being made by this administration are just something you're supposed to swallow and not bitch about. None at all. I'm not going to get soft on anybody here because I don't plan on changing the way that I do things. Criticism is a part of being an observant and intelligent fan. But I'm watching some of the stuff that's going on out there and the way people are. I mean, Chris, everyone's. I've, I've, I did it myself. You got fans turning on each other, and I mean, social media is a powerful thing, and I see more just arguing, and some of it gets really derogatory, some really ugly shit going on out there. Why over an argument about a thing that's supposed, it's supposed to, it means something different to each of us, but it's supposed to be a positive thing. It's not supposed to push us to being at each other's throats over this stuff. That's not what it's. That's not what this is about. So criticism, is, for criticism's sake, is worth it. But this morning, I woke up to a message from that same listener, Jason, who I'm going to read it for you. 106 a.m. I don't got many more games in me, so I just hope they can win. People say they're a year or so away and have all the time in the world to wait, but I know I don't. Guys, I'd, from where I was on Sunday to just today and just thinking about everything that this, how this means something different to everybody. Everybody takes their own thing away from being a fan of football. Whether it's you like the analytics side of it and you like trying to forecast what's going to happen or you like looking over statistics and noticing trends and you, or you just like watching the game and the science of the chess match of the game of football. I know for me, I I got to get back to doing what I enjoy and paying attention to what I enjoy in all this. I, I've given up wanting my pound of flesh, you know, screaming about how I want accountability. I, I don't care whether anybody on this staff takes accountability for the mess that this team is currently in. I, I don't care you know, whether they t- tell me that they're sorry. I don't need that. We all know whose fault this is, and beating a dead horse for headlines or to get attention from other people. Maybe that works if you're in radio or if you do this for a living and you have no choice. But I'm sorry, I, I don't get any joy from that, and I'm not going to do that tap dance. I'm just not, and nobody can fire me for saying no to it, unless Chris wants to throw me out. Of here.
2: No, continue to drink, please. This is what well, this is. Well, at least for you, doing the podcast, I know has uh, taken stress off your French friendship with other people that are Bills fans because this is your outlet to vent and you don't have to dump it on any of your friends (laughs) or your wife.
1: (laughs) Guys, at the end of the day, none of us can make this team perform better. I mean, I can't do it. I can't win these games, and I can't ask anybody else to feel the same way that I feel about these kinds of subjects. I can't make you agree that we're going to take this season in stride and stop trying to – I mean, I get it. We're pissed. Things aren't going according, according to plan. But when do things? We're Bills fans. When did anybody become uh, feel some sort of entitlement? I mean, I once read a quote <laughs> things are supposed to go the way they're supposed to, the way that you plan them. I mean, I remember reading the quote somewhere that frustration stems from expectation. What Bills fan in their right mind would expect things to go well after everything you've seen in the last thirty years?
2: <laughs> Sunday was the most Billsiest thing you can
1: think of. So here's what the current I'm doing. Nature there. And, I, and I can't, I mean, I'm essentially like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption, just asking you guys as Morgan Freeman, finding a note and some cash in a box. If you're willing to go a little bit farther with me, maybe we'll make it out of this thing into one piece and we'll, and we'll end up somewhere better. I can't change the way, I can't change what happens and I can't change the way I'm going to do things. But what I can do is instead of taking the easy way out and piling on, Just ranting and raving and trying to point fingers and place blame. I don't care anymore. Okay? What I'm going to do is I'm going to try to be here as a source of entertainment and information for, I don't know, the Robin Mundy's and the Pancho Bia's and the Jason's of the world. Who, I don't know. Anybody else out there who thinks that maybe this, you know, (laughs) doesn't want to waste an entire season of enjoying this thing that we all love. That we put hundreds of hours of our precious free time a year into our energy and our passion just being pissed off all the time. I mean, I know I'm, I can't be the only person out there that feels this way. Chris is saying nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo bills, right? That's a correct. I know that that's kind of a pipe dream, but why don't we give it a shot? I mean, it beats the alternative. I mean, we, we can be, out there. there's a lot worse places to be than yeah. sitting here having a little bit of hope. Exactly.
2: Right? That place is called Miami, Florida.
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, folks, I apologize. for. Uh, I'm going to come down off my soapbox, and we're going to get into this week's Bill's News Update. The health and future of quarterback Josh Allen. Story of the week. Anybody who hasn't been living under a rock, you're probably aware. Josh Allen was injured in the fourth quarter of the Bills' loss this weekend against Houston. It's a UCL injury, something that when it happens to baseball players can be referred to as or requires something called Tommy John surgery, which is essentially, I believe it's taking other ligaments from other parts of the body and stapling them to the joint.
2: Yeah, or like from a cadaver, from another thing, taking a ligament and putting it. At least for a pitcher, the recovery time is about 18
1: months. I mean it's incredible that I mean there's a lot of people out there you I know there's a lot of people who had to be like me who opened up social media or you know was paying attention to the news reports that were coming out on Monday after the injury was initially sustained and they were talking about this surgery being a possibility who had that sick feeling in the pit of their stomach I mean <laughs> Chris yeah, is giving that would me be me that would be me I mean it, just thinking about the ramifications of that I don't know enough about the topic to really be intelligent about it, but luckily, friend of the show, Dr. Kyle Trimble from bangedupbills.com, he's been making the media rounds this week. He's done the Cover One podcast. He's done Numb Bills fan podcast last night. He stopped by a little bit earlier just to give us a quick synopsis, his two cents. In terms of the design of the injury versus baseball, this is what Kyle had to say. The injury
3: itself is no different from a baseball player' structure. However, the difference is uh football players are throwing uh a football versus baseball so it's different throwing motion. They're throwing it a lot less, a lot less frequency, and a lot slower. So they're coming more three quarters versus overhand. Uh sometimes you see the submarine pitchers, but that's a different thing altogether. Uh you're also not throwing every play, and you're also not throwing as hard as you can every play too. You might do a short you know, toss. You might try to air it out. Um, it really just depends on where you're trying to throw it to. You're not trying to go for accuracy like in baseball. So there's just a lot less stress on that ligament in general versus the baseball players. And, of course, then they get the defensive series, to rest, um, among other things. So just based on the, the biomechanics of the throw alone is the reason why, it's a lot less serious
1: for football player versus baseball player. So, you know, I, I like the sound of that. I mean, essentially, they talked about how Marcus Mariota earlier this season suffered a similar version of what Josh Allen did. And again, he had about a two-week layoff, and then he came back and started playing again. So it's, it's obvious that this is something that can be recovered from as long as the damage isn't too severe. The, the next question I had for him, and I think the biggest in my mind, was my fear of recurrence of the injury after this two to three week timetable that he's been given were to pass.
3: After, you know, long term timeline, he's gonna be able to resume all normal functions. Most of the limited studies that are out there have demonstrated that most of the NFL quarterbacks that have stayed injured will come back non surgically um and play they didn't say how effective, but the fact that if you're still playing at that high of a level, it means you're at least somewhat effective. Now, whether you're dealing with Jim Kelly or Billy Joe Hober, you know, there's a big difference there. However, um, we're not seeing where guys are kind of starting to break down sooner because of that. I think we're going to see that more with, um, you know, your, your lower extremity injuries, your ankles and knees, where those sort of take the brunt of those hits and excessive uh activities you know the arm motion is something you have to factor in. of course being quarterback however they're not throwing it as often as baseball and they could take longer duration breaks too so uh, long term i don't think it's going to be a huge issue just how they manage it right now is going to be key for down the
1: line i gotta tell you hearing that makes me feel better i mean at first glance when i heard about the injury and then heard about the extended timetable chris I think the thing that had me beside myself the most was this concept that it could be a possibility that not only would our rookie quarterback miss an entire season and a half, which would then forfeit not just the development time that we thought we were getting by starting him ahead of schedule in the first place, but that two contract years would be burned in the process, which would essentially shrink the window of time. He'd have to prove before this team had to commit to a, to a fifth year option for him to one season. The first thing I thought of when when I
2: the possibility of surgery came up, meaning that he would be out next year, the first thing came into my head was, well, there goes another year of a, a waste a good defense wasted.
1: Yeah, and and that's that's again that's another thing that's worth looking at. I mean, the way this team is designed. They built the defense first, obviously. It's where they spent all the draft capital and all their attention. I think the idea has, the prevailing idea has been that they're going to build this offense next year with all of this money that they have. So with that, you have to question, if you were to lose your quarterback for that entire year, I mean, now what? <laughs> now what do you do?
2: You just draft another one. Yeah, right. We got all of our picks this year. Just draft another
1: one. So now that we seem to have dodged the bullet regarding the big picture of Josh Allen's health, the question has to be asked, where do we go from here? In the short term, the choice appears to be that we're going to be starting newly signed quarterback Derek Anderson. That's right, Chris, the same Derek Anderson, who once threw for 17 yards while playing for the Browns. In a six-to-three victory against the Buffalo Bills, that might have actually been the starting point for my hatred of the city of Cleveland.
2: You're uh, you're selling him a little bit short. There, uh, he was actually two of seventeen. For 23 yards. <laughs> oh my! God. You're shorting him six yards.
1: Essentially, I must have just looked at the stats, and it was like looking at the sun. You just check it to make sure it exists, and you look away because if anything more, and it'll burn your corneas. Just scorch them right out of your skull that an NFL quarterback could put on that kind of a performance. <sighs> the, the idea to start him comes with its own set of questions, including how effective can a guy who just picked up your playbook what? Six days ago.
2: But didn't he play for Dayball
1: before? I don't I don't care about any of that. You just picked up a playbook a week ago. The rest of the team has had it since the beginning of training camp. You mean to tell me that you're gonna come in at quarterback? I mean, essentially, we're dealing with a watered-down version of Billy Joe Hobart. <laughs> A guy who doesn't know the playbook is going to go out there and start a game. I mean, this isn't me being mean. This is me trying to temper fans' expectations because I know some, I've seen it on social media. Some I get being, optimist, uh, being optimists out there. I was just talking about that exact thing. But sometimes there's a, there's such a thing as being overly optimistic. Anybody who comes in here and thinks that you're going to get anything better than Billy Joe Hobart out of Derek Anderson is setting themselves up for just bitter disappointment. <laughs> I mean, Chris, there, there, there's no shot that he comes out and throws for 300 yards, right?
2: I would like to see him at least get 100. <laughs> if he gets at least 100, that's a win in my book.
1: So that, that dynamic in and of itself, the inexperience of a quarterback off the street who's going to set up under center for your offense, underscores for me, at least in my mind, the dynamic currently existing within the Buffalo Bills locker room, I have no doubt in my mind that McDermott would have loved to have started Nathan Peterman Chris. you know he wanted to
2: i could I could see that. I mean, he's got this weird love for Peterman. That I don't get so the fact let that, it go
1: the fact that Peterman's going to be holding a clipboard on Sunday gives credence to this idea that deep down. He knew that starting a quarterback who he himself had to bench for being ineffective after just one half of week one's football game against the Ravens would have cost him the faith of the guys who make a difference in that locker room. Do you think your defense is going to continue giving their all if you're going to trot somebody out there who they've already had put them behind the eight ball multiple times?
2: No, this is definitely a situation where if Peterman was named this afternoon the starter— I think McDermott would have lost the locker room.
1: I, I, I mean, I have no evidence for this. I, it's just a feeling. As someone who's played team sports before, you know the, the analogy I gave to Chris. Chris, you work in a small machine shop. You have what, ten coworkers?
2: Yeah, so nine other coworkers. Okay, so ten nine including There's me. ten of
1: you. If your boss were to come into the your boss were to come into the shop at the end of the day tomorrow. You finish up, you guys are getting ready, or even Friday afternoon is even, an even better analogy for this.
2: That works better because I don't
1: work Fridays. <laughs> he comes in at the end of the day, end of the day, last day of the week, and says, okay, guys, I, I we would need a foreman here to oversee things and make all the important decisions here in the shop. I'm going to nominate our worst employee. Our worst employee. I'm going to nominate him to be the guy running the show here. I'm leaving town. Do you come into work on Monday, Chris, with any feeling at all, any sort of enthusiasm, any sense that, hey, this is going to go all right? No, there'd be
2: a mutiny by lunch.
1: (laughs) And that's my point. You make that decision, whether you're a manager at work or whether you're the coach of a a sports team, you have to balance these decisions. And this feels like one of those decisions, which I think is a bigger story in and of itself. You know, this is a coaching. This is a coach who last year tested the team by pulling Tyrod Taylor and putting Peterman in the first place, and it turned out to be a mistake. This is the second time you've put in Peterman, and it's proven to be a mistake. Okay, I was very critical. <laughs> Crit- I don't even think critical is the word. I was very critical on Sunday of McDermott for his decision. Uh, I mean, it's t- to put him back in. It's essentially the. <laughs> oh my God. It's just one of those things he couldn't do, Chris. Just couldn't do it. So now the question is can he be effective? I mean, the Colts appear on paper like a decent matchup for Anderson to kind of get his feet wet, which we're going to talk about a little bit later tonight in our preview. So then the idea becomes we know what's happening with Peterman. He can't play him or else he'll, you know, he, in my opinion, probably loses the locker room. We know Anderson's starting with limited experience. What happens to Josh Allen going forward? Personally, I'm of the mindset that regardless of how poorly Anderson plays, regardless of what happens, I I mean, it doesn't matter to me, Chris. Anderson, Peterman, you give me the fucking ghost of Terry Bradshaw. Yes, I realize that he's not dead yet. He just looks like he is. Whoever you want to try to trot out there and put under center, to hand the ball off 50 times a game and try not to fuck it up? Josh Allen should not see the field again for the rest of the 2018 season. Come at me. What do you got, Chris?
2: Over out of it, when he's healthy to return, then you just keep him out like Derek Anderson is the is the lamb that you just feed to everybody. What but if we're not? What
1: if this team is competitive?
2: If we if for some reason we beat Indiana, we've got the next three games – at Indianapolis, home to New England on Monday night, and then we play Chicago, I think here. If we win all three of those, then you should put Josh Allen back in. Why? Because he would give us the best chance to win. Why? Because he would give us the best chance to yeah, but win. but why
1: does he give us the best chance to win? Throwing 82 yards in a game?
2: Sure, why not? Our defense, if will, we've won those our three, defense will win most of, most of our games theory, this Chris, year.
1: To win those three games, you're going to need more than 82 yards passing from your quarterback. Yeah. Do you genuinely believe he gives us the best chance to win?
2: I mean, hey, Josh Allen's thrown for 82 in a game, and Derek Anderson's thrown for 23.
1: If I had it my way, Josh Allen doesn't touch touch the field on game day until 2019. And I know that that's going to rub some people the wrong way. They're going to look at it and say, well, you didn't like him before the draft, and you're just down on a big... Again, I've given up beating dead horses. I'm done. Now I'm moving forward trying to enjoy the the game and the team that I love. And this guy happens to play for it, and he's going to play an integral role in our future whether I like it or not. I feel like we dodged a bullet here with this injury, Chris, in the sense that it gives the staff and the player a way to put him back on the bench where I feel he's belonged this entire time without anybody losing face. Nobody's going to look bad in this. They can say, look, he got hurt. We, we feel like we still need to slow play this injury, slow play his recovery, you know, teach him how to, how to prevent future recurrences of it, which will give him time on the sideline working with the quarterback's coach, working with Derek Anderson, working with Dable, trying to become a more, not only mechanically sound quarterback, but a mentally sound one. So that when we put him out on the field again, he can find a way to be successful. I mean, Chris, I don't know where the downside to this is. This is the perfect out for this franchise to not look like idiots or to damage another thing that everybody's concerned about. Now you don't have to worry about it. You can tell them, look, you're hurt. You got hurt because you, you got hurt because you're standing in the pocket and you're taking too much contact. Let's teach you how to avoid this contact. Well, somebody else gets their ass kicked behind this line that's not going to do you any favors. Next year, when you come out, you're going to, you're going to know this. We're going to have a better line for you. You're going to be able to succeed. I, I, I just don't see a downside to this, Chris. I, I mean, I know that a lot of it, to your point, will probably hinge on where we are record wise and based on the performance of the team. But I personally don't think it should. If
2: he's going to be out for three games, that third game's against uh, Chicago, so that's at least good that he won't be getting eaten by Khalil Mack.
1: (laughs) And that, folks, brings us to our Week 6 recap. Texans 20, Bills 13. As we always do, we're going to kick this off with the stats of the game. Josh Allen, 10 of 17 for 59%, which I believe might be his highest completion percentage of the season. 84 yards, no touchdowns, two sacks, and a 71.7 rating. Nathan Peterman, 6 of 12, 50%, one touchdown, two interceptions, 53.1 rating. Deshaun Watson, 15 of 25, 60%, 177 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions, seven sacks, <laughs> a 61.6 passer rating. Oh, penalties. Houston, six for 50 yards. Buffalo, 12 for 104. Seven of them coming against the offense. <sighs> the Bills front seven. Six and a half sacks, one force fumble, a fumble recovery, one interception, seven tackles for a loss, 74 rush yards allowed, 10 quarterback hits. In our pregame video, Sunday morning, I told everybody that would listen that this game had the feel of last season's Bills-Falcons game in the sense that while we were going up against a team that had superior weapons, our defense and rushing attack looked like they could slot right in and take the pressure off of our passing attack, and it just smelled like the kind of game that if our defense went out there and executed, got some turnovers, got some quarterback pressure, we were going to be in this thing. At least... More so than the 10, uh, what were we, plus 10 coming into that game?
2: Yeah, the spread was Houston by 10.
1: So on paper, it looks like, oh man, you know, the, to me anyway, this is a game we should absolutely be in. And in truth, it was. We handled our business on defense with authority and avoided a lot of costly mistakes on offense. I mean, <laughs> until until we didn't. Which, I mean, I, I have to assume, I mean, there's been memes. There's been a lot of different things. I mean, I've seen the Apple turnover uh, memes with Nathan Peterman. I've seen, you know, the, the CBS show God Friended Me, Chris, that they're always advertising during football games. I saw uh, Trainwreck Sports made a meme. of they, they just took the poster from that, put Nathan Peterman's face over one of the guys and changed the title to God Intercepted Me. <laughs> I mean... Jesus, if you're going to go that route, I mean, just in two possessions, he showed his religious background by proving that Peterman giveth and Peterman taketh away. And for all the angst and ill will that this game has created, just amongst our fan base and our followers and our everybody who cares or gives a damn about this football team, there were some significant positives to take away from this that I think a lot of people might have missed and all the fire and brimstone. On the defensive side of the ball, that's where things were won for the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. I mean, it was incredible watching the way that they rallied to the ball, watching the way that their coverage was smooth. I mean, I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me personally, one of the silver linings of the entire afternoon, is the play of young defenders. I mean, let me me run this off to you. It's going to sound like a lot of numbers at first, but follow me. Defensive tackle Harrison Phillips, 36% of the snaps, one tackle for a loss, one fumble recovery. Defensive end Eddie Yarbrough, 36% of the snaps, three tackles, one tackle for a loss. Slot cornerback Teron Johnson, 66% of the snaps and four tackles. Slot cornerback Teron Johnson, 66% of the snaps with four tackles. Cornerback Trey White. 100% of the snaps, two tackles, one tackle for a loss. Linebacker Trey Edmonds, 100% of the snaps, nine tackles, seven of them were solo, and one tackle for a loss. And linebacker Matt Milano, 100% of the snaps, eight tackles, and two tackles for a loss. Yes, there are veteran players on the roster who are standing out on defense you got Starlo Tulule. The guy is finally starting to play like the defensive tackle that we thought we were getting in free agency. He's getting reacclimated to you know, Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier's style of play. And then you've got Lorenzo Alexander, who is having a career season at linebacker. I mean, fuck, Chris. The guy, if he told you tomorrow that his plan was to climb Mount Everest, you're talking about a guy who played special teams linebacker, offensive tight end, made the Pro Bowl as a 3-4 outside linebacker, pass rusher, I don't know what the fuck you want to call it. And then also as a stand-up linebacker in a 4-3 scheme, he's playing his balls off, having one of the best careers of his year. Would you doubt him if he said he was going to scale the mountain? No. <laughs> Nobody should. I mean, Jesus. But it is worth noting, there are a sizable number of players with two years or less experience on this roster who are starting to fill some significant roles. I mean, it's huge. It's laying the foundation for a youthful defense that's not only cheap, but also highly effective. I mean, you want to talk about effective linebacking. We have watched Trey Edmonds over the course of the first quarter of the season grow up. This is a guy who week one or two, we were talking about, Chris, missing his angles, taking the wrong run fits, sometimes getting lost in coverage. The last two games, he has been lights out. I think this might have been his best game of the season. Matt Milano, he's just he's continued his high level of play. Those two guys, draft picks, first-year player, second-year player, you're laying the foundation of a solid linebacking core. On defense, Teron Johnson, Trey White, you've got a solid slot corner, you've got a solid number one corner. You're just begging for a good number two to come in here. Philip Gaines, I hope they'd leave him somewhere on the road. After one of the next, you know, once they come back, like maybe after the indie game, maybe they just leave him somewhere in Ohio where he's he belongs. Maybe in the city of Cleveland, Chris. Maybe in the city of Cleveland where he belongs. Ultimately, I had to be impressed with the youth on, on this defense. On offense, coming into this game, I assumed that there, it was going to be an absolute bloodbath on the offensive line. I mean, you're talking about the Bills' sieve of an OL going up against defensive ends Jadavian Clowney and J.J. Watt, who are both fully healthy and just dying to get after the quarterback, along with the fact that they play for a defensive coordinator who insists on blitzing no matter what the downer distance. Yes, as an offensive line <laughs> and offense, we racked up over 100 yards with the penalties. A lot of them were the Lions' fault. Tight ends, offensive linemen, false starting, guys lining up improperly for illegal formation penalties. But it's worth pointing out that throughout all of that, they managed to keep Allen safe from both Clowney and Watt for the most part. Watt had a sack, I'll give him that. There was five more that Watt probably could have had, and there were some very, uh, Chris, terrifying moments. I think the one that you and I can both uh, agree upon, there's a play. Allen takes the snap. He drops back, and J.J. Watt is in his face, and he doesn't know it. And he takes the pass. He fakes the handoff to the left, turns around, and J.J. Watt's right there. And somehow Josh Allen outruns him enough that he can throw the ball out of bounds. It goes for a no gain, just a, just a nonsense play, But it might have been one of the bigger plays of the game because if he had been sacked, it would have been a 20-yard loss. That's what I'm looking for as far as growth from Josh Allen. Realizing when you're beat. You're beat and you got to get rid of the ball. Do not take a negative play here. He has to learn more of that. This game, he avoided a lot of those negative plays. But that almost sack reminded me a lot of a YouTube video I saw. Where this guy was and his friend, both wearing uh, GoPros strapped to their chest, were cliff diving by the Golden Gate Bridge. And the guy jumps in the water and he watches it. Well, the one guy jumps in the water, his friend is watching him, and his friend's laughing, and ha ha, everything's great. And then he jumps in the water, and as he's going down, he's literally 10 feet away from a great white shark. That's how Josh Allen must have felt after that <laughs> fake handoff. Oh my god, Shark in the water, we gotta get out of here. And somehow he found a way to safety. That's worth noting that he at least found his way out of that. Then I look at the the rushing attack
0: of our offense.
1: No, they weren't dynamic. We didn't break any big runs. In fact, if anything, our running defense, our running offense has really been scaled back this year, Chris. I mean, we haven't produced at all on the level that Bills fans are used to seeing, have we?
2: No, nope. bunch of Shady, not getting the ball, and Marcus Murphy injured.
1: <laughs> Do you think that Marcus Murphy being injured is a part of the reason that we're not seeing as much uh, diversity in the rushing attack?
2: Well, not just that. Look at our special teams.
1: <laughs> that did really dictate the game. That being said, there's some notes here on the rushing attack. The middle of the defense, where you you wouldn't think that the defense is tough. I mean, or at least you wouldn't think that the defense is weak. You'd think they'd be strong up the middle. The Bills average nine yards per carry running behind the center. And at least three running off of right guard. Both of which fall right into J.J. Watt's wheelhouse. Part of that was by design. You look at Josh Allen. Josh Allen himself... Averaged almost seven yards a carry up the middle of the field. I think the game plan coming into this was we're gonna if you see a crack, you go for it. Past the point where you know JJ Watts trying to get past. You run off his you run off his right shoulder. He's gonna be trying to come for you. If you run right at him, you're gonna get past him. I mean, Chris, is it fair to say that JJ Watts, one of the more aggressive defensive linemen in football?
2: Yeah, he's aggressive uh, when he's healthy and when he's injured as well, because he's injured a
1: lot. Because <laughs> he's injured all the time. So having said that, that was a solid piece of game planning by Brian Dable. Just to say, look, let's run at him. Let's run right at him. Fuck him. We're not going to let him tee off on our passer. We're gonna when, whenever we see the ability to, we are going to try to get the ball past him into the linebackers, into your coverage units. I don't understand how the how the offensive line kept Allen from getting swallowed up for most of the game. And also, the lack of sacks could kind of be attributed just to Allen himself. For as little credit as I try to give him as a quarterback, he did a lot of great things just with his physical abilities. He's a big guy. A lot of contact was made with Allen in this game. And yet, at the same time, he didn't go down kept his feet moving. He escaped a lot of situations that lesser quarterbacks would not have, which is going to be important when we talk about this coming week's game. As backwards as it might sound, that might have saved our day because (laughs) when you think about it, the defense kept trying to rush, kept trying to blitz Josh Allen because they were frustrated that they weren't seeing the sack numbers they thought they were going to get. And because of it, we were allowed to continue moving the ball in small increments. We burned a ton of clock. We used our special teams, we used our defensive performance to keep the game close. I mean, we did everything right that should have resulted in a road victory. And because of that, I have to name defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier our hero of the week.
0: Here's the deal, I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence.
1: I mean, let's face it, when you craft a game plan that results in three takeaways and seven sacks, you deserve to win. We didn't get it, but Leslie Frazier still gets a little bit of shine from this. I mean, you're talking about a guy who week two got got his playbook taken away from him by the head coach and since then has really responded with a series of strong defensive performances. I mean, some of that can be attributed to the maturity of the players that he's coaching, But some of that is also coming from a guy who got his hand slapped and maybe is just kind of rebounded from that. Now, on the flip side of that, we're going to stick with the coaching staff for this week's Zero of the Week, and that belongs to both Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. Hey,
3: if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will.
1: Do you guys remember the fable of the frog and the scorpion? We literally just watched a real-life version of that play out which cost us to win. And being a McDermott, they played the part of the frog. Yes, Nathan Peterman threw the interceptions. I get that. I'm as crushed as anyone. I'm as angry as anyone. But that's what Nathan Peterman does. He can't help it that it's a part of his nature. The real mistake is on the part of the people who went against their better judgment and took him at his word that he wouldn't do it again. So, much like the frog and the scorpion, Nathan Peterman said, Hey, coach, put me in the game. Don't worry. I'm not going to throw the back-breaking interception. that's going to fuck us over in the end. And then, as we're drowning in the middle of the river, McDermott and Bean looked back at Nathan Peterman and said, Hey, I thought you said you weren't going to throw this pick. And he said, what, what are you talking about? I'm Nathan Peterman. <laughs> it's, just, it's just what I do. Ha, <laughs> ha. Oh, Chris. Desolate place to be a Bills fan. Bills Twitter, it's a barren wasteland of just awful takes, just people who are irate over the coaching staff, over the decisions, over the play of our offense. Everybody's unhappy about something. Right or wrong, everybody out there seems to have an ax to grind.
2: Yeah. Yeah everybody wants peterman's head
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh jesus everyone's looking for their pound of flesh but here's what i want i want to point out things aren't so bad buffalo there are a long long list of people who have it a lot worse than we do i'm introducing this as a new weekly segment considering i feel like people need a little perspective There are people out there right now this week who have things worse than the Buffalo Bills. Chris, why don't we read it off? You are one pathetic loser. This week's candidate, Pete Davidson. I know a lot of the people listening to this podcast just went, who? (laughs) No, I don't blame you. But I bet you all know who Ariana Grande is. The 25-year-old pop singer is a model, a music sensation, if you can call pop music, Quote unquote music, and she's got a net worth of approximately $50 million. Pete Davidson is a comedian who works on SNL and has all the visual appeal of a mule who's had his ears shaved down and some curly hair glued to the top of his head. <laughs> the dude outkicked his coverage and almost pulled off a bigger upset than the comeback. By somehow tricking this chicken to agreeing to get engaged with him. But she called off their engagement this week. (laughs) And on top of it, she took back their jointly owned pet pig in the press. Oh, God, Chris. This guy got hosed. I mean, Chris, he's an ugly man who's about to just land a whale. You got a feel for this guy, right?
2: He's got money, so I don't feel for him.
1: (laughs) He's got money. (laughs) Oh, the guy was like Icarus. He flew too close to the sun in an attempt to try to score a victory for goofy-looking guys with a sense of humor everywhere. Sucks, and yet I have to say, cheers to your moxies, sir. People who also have it shittier than Bills fans. Giants fans. Imagine being fans of a team. That at the end of 2017, you fire your coach because you call him underperforming. Then you go into the draft and you double down on the fact that you still have faith in your aging quarterback, Eli Manning. Because you take the number two pick in a quarterback-heavy draft and you spend it on a running back. You don't try to draft anybody to groom for the future. No, you don't need it because your guy's going to be a stud. Everything's gonna be great. You're gonna get him the next Barry Sanders. You guys are gonna—they're gonna ride off together into the sunset like the Lone Ranger and Tonto. Fast forward to this season, you have a one and five record. You have a head coach who doesn't have any control over the team, a diva wide receiver who's sparking feuds with the fan base, the owners, the coaches, and you've got. Some brutal primetime games ahead of you where you're just going to get embarrassed in front of the entire country. I mean, Chris, our rough days are here and now. We're living them. And we're doing it at 1 o'clock in the afternoon.
2: (laughs) We've had rough days for 18 years.
1: Yeah. But the Giants' struggles are just beginning. And the decision to A, switch coaches, because you blamed him for the teams, maybe the team just isn't that good. Maybe the GM should have been fired instead of the head coach. But it doesn't matter because you drafted a running back and your quarterback is done. I mean, do you think Eli has anything left in the tank?
2: Tank is empty. He's and, trash.
1: And he's going to show it on TV like the, like the Dolphins did last year. He's going to go out there and just get embarrassed a handful more times. It's going to be Fantastic. At least for me. Because fuck the Giants. And then Jalen Ramsey. (laughs) Oh! At least we're all not Jalen Ramsey today. There's a few things sadder in life than when a shit talker who once beaten can't... You just can't be contrite. Or at least show a little, I don't know, a little moxie. A little, I don't know, a little balls on your way out the door. I mean... Listen to it for yourself. This was him talking to reporters after his team got thrashed 40 to 7. As beat.
0: How much What's of a shock the, it, is it against Thrasby considering the talent goes
1: mm-hmm.
3: he got? You guys w- played together a lot as a second year. How do you kind of explain some of the loan assignments that you guys had early in this game?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Coach said that he felt like it, was in, it wasn't it was an effort issue, it was a miscommunication issue. Do you agree with that?
3: I oh, yeah what challenge
0: should
3: Cole Beasley post today? Defense usually plays with you know, a lot of swagger and confidence. What needs to happen to kind of get you guys motivated I don't back.
1: know. I- <laughs> Chris, this is the guy who had a ton of shit to say. A ton. This is the epitome. My grandfather used to use the phrase, that man has an alligator mouth and a hummingbird ass. I'm sorry, but it looks like Jalen Ramsey falls into that category. In my experience, if you talk a lot of shit, and then you get your ass handed to you by somebody you trashed in front of an audience like the one that the Jaguars and Cowboys game had, you got two choices. You either be contrite, admit that the check that your mouth wrote bounced, and you move on. Or, you talk some additional shit on your way out the door. You know, like, hey, yeah, well, you beat me, but fuck you, your girlfriend's fat. Or, it doesn't matter, because your mama's an alcoholic. I mean, (laughs) those are the jabs you throw. You don't go down. You don't just lay down for everybody after talking all that shit. Instead, this guy, who was the talk of the NFL in the offseason with all, I mean, Chris, the mouth on this guy. And instead, he just mumbled and stuttered his way out of the fucking locker room with his tail between his legs. Mouthful of a little humble pie, I think. If that does not make for a shitty week, I don't know what does. <laughs> and that brings us to this week's AFC East Roundup. Everybody in the Division one. Everyone. Fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, it starts with New England. The Patriots won 43-40. to It was a firefight of a game. They narrowly escaped the high-scoring Kansas City Chiefs offense on a late game-winning drive by Tom Brady. Because fuck that guy. And in the process, they set an NFL record for being the first team in the Super Bowl era to not be flagged a single time during a game. Chris... Doesn't that sound like a headline you'd read in The Onion?
2: Yeah, probably.
1: Patriots win home game, not flagged.
2: <laughs> I also don't think that they would get flagged. They don't get flagged much anyway.
1: Uh, fuck these guys. I'm sorry. Are we supposed to believe that this team is somehow so supremely disciplined that they just don't commit any infractions? I, mean, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Fuck these guys. God, I can't wait for them to lose to the Chiefs in the postseason. The wild card round, Chris. That's, that's That's going to be the silver lining I bank on for the rest of the season. Moving down south, Miami. The Dolphins 31, the Bears 28 in overtime. I got to tell you, the most exciting play of this game came when the Bears linebacker, Leonard Floyd, forgot that he was playing football. And then he hadn't actually decided to join Gronk in a WWE (sighs) appearance. Because he picked up wide receiver Danny Amendola and suplexed him like he thought it was a wrestling match. I mean, flags came flying from every single direction. In a league that's focused on safety and that quote-unquote cares about player safety, this dude just picked up a guy and body slammed him. How do you not eject that guy? <laughs> I don't understand it. Do you actually give a shit about player safety? I saw it happen as we were watching the Bills game and had the Dolphins game up on the uh, the Sunday ticket screen. And I made everybody kind of go to that game and watch it with me. And everyone in the room just kind of went, <gasps> Is that legal? No, it's not fucking legal. You just pile-drived a guy who's half your size. Chris, that would be like me, like, gorilla pressing you right here in your kitchen.
2: Who says that hasn't been done before? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, The only way it could have been better is if he had pulled off his elbow protector and just given him the people's elbow right there in the middle of the field at the 50-yard line. As if watching C.J. Beathard on Monday Night Football play quarterback wasn't demoralizing to Bills fans enough, we had to watch this horse shit. Ryan Tannehill's inactive with an A.C. joint sprain, so Brock Osweiler starting for the Dolphins. Yes, Brock Osweiler. The same guy who was traded away by a Texans team along with a second-round pick just to take him off their hands and who wasn't good enough to make the Browns roster. That guy that guy he proceeded to throw for 380 yards 380 yards chris he's up for fedex player of the week as a backup quarterback yeah. i mean he's the he single-handedly stopped their two-game skid and now He's added another chapter to what I think is going to be a hilarious anecdote for trivia questions of the future. Listen to this. Brock Osweiler's first career win as a Bronco against the Chicago Bears. Brock Osweiler then signs with the Texans. His first career win as a Texan against the Chicago Bears. (laughs) His first career win in a Dolphins uniform Fitting, it also comes against the Chicago Bears. I mean, he didn't do it alone. The immortal Frank Gore. That guy, I mean, I forgot that Frank Gore was still playing football. But apparently, he just rushed for his 44th 100-yard game in his career. I mean, Chris, that's incredible. The dude has been around forever, and he's still... He is, what is that, Timex? Takes a licking and keeps on ticking? He's better than Timex. It's incredible to me. If their team continues to play the way that they are, I, I mean, even with the injuries, they're going to be tough to beat. And then you've got the New York Jets playing this week's opponent of the Buffalo Bills, the Indianapolis Colts, and the Jets win 42-34. to The game was funny to me because they were winning at 1.30-7, to the Jets were. And I said, ah, fuck this game. I don't need to pay attention to it. And in the third quarter, I turn around, and they're only separated by a touchdown. I mean, Chris, the Jets really ran away with things early, but their defense, it seems like there's a number of injuries that are piling up on this team. I mean, I think that's the storyline. If you're watching this from an outside perspective, looking at the Jets, they're the walking wounded. They, They just escaped the Colts scoring 34 points against them last week. They're missing their number one cornerback and their slot cornerback. Their number one running back, their number two safety, and their number one D tackle. As of today, Wednesday, none of them are practicing. Even Sam Darnold popped up on the injury report. Some kind of injury, even though he was a full participant. And his favorite target at wide receiver, Quincy Anunia. He's already been ruled out for next week. You're talking about a team that did well, but as those injuries started to pile up throughout the course of the game, this is a team that came off the rails and let the Colts right back into things. And even though the Colts are one in 5, they've played in some close games. They've lost their last two, they've lost by two scores to the Pats they lost by a field goal in overtime to the Texans. And they've lost by eight to the New York Jets in what were all high-scoring affairs. So, Chris, regardless of the record, we have to be scared of this football team. We have to. You have to take them seriously. And that brings us to our Week 7 preview, Buffalo Bills at the Indianapolis Colts. The time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. The place, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. The weather doesn't matter because it's in a dome. And the line, I haven't researched it. Chris, well, what do you see?
2: Indianapolis by nine.
1: By nine? Jesus <clears throat> Christ. We have been floating around a 10-point line of victory every single week. Why? And yet last week, we should have crushed the Texans line. Why are we still underdogs? I don't understand it. Chris, what do we have for coverage and crew?
2: Spear Adidas and Adam Marchaletta on CBS, and it's, Only in New York and Indiana, as that game should only be viewed in New York and in in, in Indiana.
1: Of course, wait, there's nowhere else in the entire country that might want to see that game?
2: No. No (laughs) one wants to see that
1: game. The injury report for this week. For the Buffalo Bills, it's a short list, but some of these names are important. Trent Murphy has an ankle injury. He's questionable. Marcus Murphy, still out with that rib injury. That's important because Taiwan Jones is also questionable with an undisclosed injury. They are the two people who are the most dynamic returners on this team, both punt or kick. Considering what we got from Ray-Ray McLeod last week, setting, setting the Texans up, just setting the table for them for a touchdown, I don't want to see that kid anywhere near the return game. But that also means jeopardizing starters. I mean, their answer last week was to bring in Micah Hyde. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see any of our safeties or defensive backs jeopardized because we have a rookie returner who can't hold his own weight. Chris, what happens when Micah Hyde gets hurt on a punt return?
2: Uh, we're screwed. That's what happens.
1: <laughs> exactly. And then offensive guard Vlad Dukas has a knee injury, but he's limited in practice. He might still play. Indianapolis, it's a long list. I mean, you're talking about a wide receiver in Ryan Grant. Defensive tackles, cornerbacks, wide receiver T.Y. Hilton, who actually practiced today. So he, you know, he tested the hamstring. That's the thing. Hamstring injuries are touchy. He tested it. Apparently he thinks he's full go. It'll be interesting how his presence changes the dynamic of the offense. Jack Doyle, still questionable with that hip injury at tight end. Marcus Hunt, defensive end. He's questionable with a knee injury. They have a safety who's been out since week three, I believe, with a neck injury. And running back Robert Turbin, shoulder injury, questionable. On the defensive side of the football, when you look at what the Colts are, And if we're just trying to quickly recap this, package it all up for you fans who just want to, I don't know, you want bullet points. The Colts are the 30th ranked scoring defense in the NFL. And they're the 17th ranked rush defense. When I look over their play charts of the last two losses, they've given up nine first downs to running backs in the New England game. Five to the Jets this past Sunday. And then in the wake of the injury of uh, linebacker Clint Sessions, that hurt them from a depth standpoint. They have one good interior linebacker. Now this rookie, Darius Leonard, he runs sideline to sideline. He can tackle in space, and they have safety Malik Hooker, who can drop down in the box and play every position you ask him to. Besides those two, they have no range inside the box. They're very susceptible to the run game. If you run straight at them, you just look at the running charts, They've allowed 7.1 yards per carry in the last two games running between the tackles. If you run this team over, you essentially have to do what you did last week. Line up under center, line up behind guard, and just fire. Fire into these guys and hope Shady can find a crease to squeak through. If you do that consistently, you will break this defense. And that kind of has to be the go-to. You have to take the air out of the ball in this game because I'll tell you, on the offensive side of the ball, the Colts are no slouches. You look at their last three games, the Colts are averaging 30 points a game on offense. But with that, they're 27th in the NFL in turnover ratio. The Bills' defense happens to be number one in the NFL in terms of forced fumbles. And we also have five interceptions to our credit. Now, when you look at how their offense is structured, it sort of plays into our hands the same way Green Bay did. In terms of the fact that they're not going to take deep shots left and right on you. What they're going to do is they're going to throw within five to six yards of the line of scrimmage. That's it. They're going to dink and dunk and try to pick you apart. Quick release to try to keep the pressure off of Andrew Luck. They, they, unlike the Texans, understand their offensive line situation. They don't want Andrew Luck holding onto the quarter, uh, onto the football is for any longer than he has to. They want him getting the ball out quickly. So with that, it's going to be a test for our linebackers to see how much they've grown since that Green Bay game. In that Green Bay game and our short area coverages, our cornerbacks got lost in their zone coverages. I mean, Chris, you remember watching a couple of the plays where Trey White just, for whatever reason, lost his man. Or it was a quick slant that Trey White couldn't recover from. And he couldn't get to this spot quick enough. And he gave up a 7- or 8-yard game. That's what this team is going to try to do to us. They're not going to take a ton of shots deep. And that's what they've done throughout the course of the last couple of games, even though they've lost all of them. It's going to be on the defense to see if they can try to corral that. See if they can try to funnel all of the ball carriers back to the middle of the field. Keep them away from the boundaries. And also force some turnovers. Because ultimately that's what keeps us in games. That's what it's going to take week in and week out for this team to be competitive. With that, here is this week's obscure statistic of the week. I
2: don't even know what that means, but I'm
1: Colts kicker Adam Vinatieri has 2,535 career points. That leaves him just 10 points shy shy of breaking Mort Anderson's all-time scoring record of 2,544. It's worth noting, Vinatieri has attempted two field goals in every single game this season except for one. So it's, entire, it's entirely possible, Chris, that we see a record get broken on Sunday, even if our defense does its job well. The only thing I can hope is that they don't take 20 minutes out of the broadcast <laughs> in order to make a spectacle out of it, the way ESPN did for Drew Brees last week, because that fucking sucked. <sighs> Come Sunday, folks, here's what I'm going to be looking for. First of all, defensive cohesion. The Colts have not been great. I mean, they're not 1-5 in five by accident. But their offense has put up points on some very good football teams. The Patriots, the Jets. They're averaging 30 points a game over the last three losses. If we're going to have any shot here, it's going to be because our defense maintains its composure and churns out another performance like we did last week. Yep. You know, You contain tight end Eric Ebron. You keep Marlon Mack from getting yards after the carrier, Naheen Himes, when they try to throw to their running backs out in the flats. That's going to be a big part of their passing offense, is getting running backs out on the edge of our defense and trying to get yards after the catch. It's on our linebackers to corral those guys in. Our field goal kicker is a weapon for this team, but the game has to be close enough that Reed. (laughs) <laughs> Reed and Hauschka uh, can go in there and make a difference. Then I'm going to be looking at the offensive line performance. The Colts roster, you look at them at face value and you say, they're not overflowing with pass rush talent. They are tied with Buffalo for second and third place with 19 sacks on the season. They've got def- veteran defensive end Jabal Sheard formerly of the Patriots, you know, formerly of the, I believe, the Browns before that. And they've got Margus Hunt, who even though he's questionable, if he's a starter, they both have, I believe one of them has four and one of them has three sacks. So between them, they have seven sacks. And they have Darius Leonard, rookie linebacker, who's a better pass rusher, even with his athleticism from side to side, in the rushing attack and in pass coverage. He's a better pass rusher because of his quick twitch athleticism. Aside from, I mean, this is it. On our offensive line, you have to account for all of these guys. And aside from that, you also have to find a way. You've got to find a way to pave the way for the rushing attack, keep these pass rushers on their heels, while also giving new quarterback Derek Anderson a way to feel comfortable in the pocket. I mean, Chris, this is a guy who, much like Billy Joe Hobart, has just picked up our playbook for the first time. So the question becomes, how effective can this guy be? Well, a lot of that's going to hinge on the performance of the offensive line. If they can't do their job and they can't keep this guy clean or at least help to make him feel comfortable enough to operate any kind of offense under center, he doesn't have the athleticism. He doesn't have the escapability that either one of the quarterbacks who were previous (laughs) who make up the rest of the death chart. He doesn't have that, so it's going to be on the offensive line to give him a step up in terms of getting used to playing behind them, getting used to hey, this is how we run our offense. We're not going to put you under fire because we know that you're not either one of these guys. You don't have the escapability. I mean, Chris, that's a big deal. Is it not?
2: That is a big deal, but we both know that Derek Anderson should be retired in a retirement home, or as I like to call it, the age cage.
1: <laughs> the age cage.
2: That's where he should be.
1: <laughs> so you're saying you you don't think this is going to end well?
2: I mean, a lot of people are going to say that the Colts are going to blow out the bills, but... I think our defense can uh, hang with their offense and keep them under 20 points.
1: Okay, so then the last point is going to come down to play calling on offense. This is going to be a test, Chris, of our theory. Remember in the offseason week, I kept pointing to the fact that Brian Dable is a quarterback who, can point, uh, who has the ability to craft a game plan from multiple quarterbacks. Just based on what I saw him do at Alabama. Well, this is his NFL chance to prove that because honestly, you couldn't get a more night and day transition from Josh Allen to Derek Anderson. On one hand, you have a tall oak tree of a quarterback who is a he's a load to bring down. He can slip arm tackles and get away from shoestring tackles, escape from danger and just get the ball down the field. And Derek Anderson, I have no idea what the hell I'm getting. On one hand, he could be the savvy veteran presence everybody thinks he's gonna be. Well, I shouldn't say everybody, at least a contingent of Bills fans. Or we could get a guy who should be sitting in a rocking chair. Who would be better off picking up knitting needles than throwing a football. I
2: swear to God, if we win this game six to three and he goes two of seventeen <laughs> for twenty-three yards. <laughs>
1: It'll be one of the worst things and yet best things that's ever happened in the history of football. Chris, your prediction for the game. Do you want to leave it for Sunday or do you want to give it now?
2: <laughs> Colts are gonna win uh twenty to sixteen or nineteen to sixteen.
1: Nineteen sixteen. I'm calling a Bills win by the inverse score in nineteen sixteen. Seagram's bet. You wanna take me on it? Yeah, uh,
2: a bottle, not a can. <laughs> a bottle, not a can.
1: Oh, folks, we got to get out of here. I just want to say. Today is the anniversary of the death of one of my heroes, Mr. Gord Downey, lead singer of the Tragically Hip. I mean, I can't listen to the song Scared without tearing up a little bit. And there's I, I mean, I I watched the concert. I watched his final show and it was an emotional night for me. He used to end every one of his shows or at least all of the ones I ever saw him play, with a simple quote. And I think it stands tonight, given the way things have gone around this franchise and the way things are right now on social media between Bills fans, people who are supposed to be on the same page. Gorgeous asked that everybody be good to each other. So, guys, that's all I want. Let's go out there and win or lose. Let's just be good to each other, all right? got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Thanks for joining the Rock Power.